Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Last week, uh, we were in this series on happiness. How do we develop happiness? How do we experience happiness? How do we keep happiness? Last week, we looked at the prevailing view of happiness and compared it to an alternative view uh, that traces itself to biblical thinking. And if you remember that, uh, there's some of you that were not here, were not with us. Just a recap, we talked about the prevailing view is three basic areas, three key critical factors in which happiness is developed, happiness is maintained. The prevailing view in our culture basically says that happiness is on the outside and it comes in. And with that in mind, happiness, then, since it's on the outside coming in, it's, it's tied to the happenings around you. That's where the word happiness comes from initially, is happiness is uh, related to your happenings. That if you're having good happenings, if good things are happening to you, it only makes sense that you're happy. Uh, and then also, the, the third concept, or the third thing that really informs people today on what is happiness, is the idea that it's, it's tied to attaining as much pleasure as you can get. So happiness in our world today is saying it's, it's outside in, it comes in on you, it's connected to the happenings, to the things going on in your world, and you're more happy if you can get more pleasure, you're less happy if you are, are not getting as much pleasure. And then last week we, we introduced an alternative view to that concept. That's the prevailing view. That's what our world teaches us. But as we open up the pages of Scripture, it seems that God is giving us an alternative to understanding happiness. And, and, and the prophets, the disciples, Jesus himself seems to be defining happiness as something that can emanate from the inside and come out and affect the world around you. It's not dependent upon circumstances, and it's the idea of not necessarily receiving a bunch of pleasure, because, you know, you think about it, there are people, and maybe you're one of these people, I've been one of these people before, where maybe I'm in a place in my world that everything is going great, and there's so much pleasure coming into my life and, and you know, almost living. There's some people I know that are, you could, def, you could look at them and say they're living a hedonist lifestyle all about them, all about satisfying every physical pleasure they could have. And oftentimes those are the most miserable people in this world, right? And so it seems like happiness does not get connected, at least as Jesus defines happiness, is not connected to collecting pleasure. But instead, he says, he, he thinks about it, the idea of receiving favor. You know, we talked about the metaphor of feeling like God's hand is placed on your shoulder as a way of, of encouraging you, that that is where happiness is found. Uh, with that in mind, as we just sum up that, I want to start off by reading uh, Philippians chapter 3. If you have a copy of scriptures, I invite you to turn there. If not, we have the scriptures on the screen for us as well. In Philippians 3, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he writes this. He says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. 
For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have more, Paul writes. He continues to unpack this in verse 5. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience of the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault, Paul brags. And he continues on with this line of thinking. He says in verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him and sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let us who are spiritually mature agree on these things. I read a mouthful here. Paul gives us a mouthful here. And believe it or not, this passage is quintessentially tied to the idea of how do we live in a happy state. And so with that thinking, I just add this thought that, uh, that I added, that the, the, the thoughts I contributed last week, I add this thought, and that is the reality is this. For you and I today, happiness is a choice. I'll say it this way, if, if that doesn't resonate with you. You are as happy in this life as you choose to be. Uh, don't blame anyone else. If you're miserable, don't point at your husband or your wife. Don't point at your kids. Don't point at your co-workers. Don't point at your boss. Don't point at politicians in Washington, D.C. Don't point at politicians in Jefferson City. Don't point at labor unions. Don't point at diseases that rack us and hit us in this world. Don't point at political situations. Don't point at anything, any happening around this world. If you are miserable it's because you choose to be miserable. Understand that I'm not speaking this. This is not some brash, uh, young, uh, foolish pastor that's saying these words and you can't necessarily get angry with me because I am standing on the teachings of two very well-respected psychologists, a Frank Minrith and a Paul Meyer. If you do not believe my statements here, go to their seminal work that they wrote in the 70s, which is also titled and aptly titled, Happiness is a Choice. 
uh, in, this, in this work, which for the record, it, it, it defined their practice. It made them incredibly successful, if not millionaires, uh, from their works as psychologists. They unpack the idea that happiness is, is secured from a state of mind that every person can choose to have, and it's secured by just uh, daily taking responsibility and taking proactive steps to help stimulate the growing of happiness on the inside. Uh, today, we're going to talk about five habits that we can do daily to help stimulate happiness within our lives. Now, I want to make, make it clear here. I also understand that the things I've just said, there is also a world of inner chemistry within every person, and every person's uh, biochemistry is different. That's not lost on me today. I'm not saying that these actions that we're going to discuss, uh, they will not bypass or sidestep tough times or times of incredible sadness that every person will face. Um, but I find that by doing these activities, you will discover that the sadness, the dark days, the depression will be minimized and it will be eased when we are actively taking steps in which we own our happiness, in which we own the, the process of developing and taking responsibility and living life in which we recognize and say, if I choose to be happy, I will find happiness at some point. So, the, so let's just get in here because I just have a few minutes left and we're going to look at five things. We're going to talk about them very quickly. I understand that I'm not saying that if you're not practicing any of these things that today you have to walk away and develop five new rituals, five new experiences that you have to do every day to generate happiness. But what I'm saying is this, that perhaps that there is every person in this room that will recognize that maybe there's one statement, there's one thing, one activity that you're not doing that just resonates with you. I would challenge you to say maybe that one activity you need to begin doing this week to see if you can actually generate and live out a happier mindset than you've had before. With that being said, the very first thing I would tell you every person to do who wants to experience a happy life is every day choose to relax in God's grace. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul begins, he says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in our own effort. You know, the reality is we live in a high-performance world, and it's only, you know, it's the kind of world that says you're only as great as your last at bat. You're only as big as your last sale. You're only as successful as the last victory or the last win that you've accomplished. And we're teaching this philosophy at a younger and younger age. So the question is, what happens when we encounter something that no amount of work or effort can fix? In that, we can turn to Jesus and rely upon him. So the question that I ask you, in verse 3, 3 says, when it tells us to rely upon what Jesus has done for us, well, what has Jesus done for us? What has Jesus done for you is the million-dollar question. This is a chance for us to recall these truths and relax in them. Here's an action for you to take. If you're not 
in a place where you are relaxing in the grace of Jesus. How about this? Try on a regular basis, taking a few moments of your day. The beautiful thing about this exercise, I'm not telling you you have to expand your quiet time from a 15-minute time to a 45-minute time, but sometime throughout your day, why don't you take just five minutes and you just answer the question, what would my life look like if I did not know Jesus today? What, what, would, what would my passions be? Where would I be at today? What would be my outlook in life if Jesus never took hold of me? And it might be that in that, as we look at the difference between that kind of life and the life that we currently have, we can take a deep breath and we relax in his grace. A second thing, I told you we're going to go fast through these. A second activity that we need to take into our lives is the idea that every day we will choose to matter, to remember what matters most. Every day choose to remember what matters most. Paul writes in Philippians 3 verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable. What are these things? Those things we were talking about, how he was a Benjamite, how he was a Pharisee, how he was zealous, how he persecuted the church, how he was ritually and spiritually purer than the average person around him. He says, I once thought those things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Paul is talking about his resume, his activity, his past, his heritage. He puts so much focus and so much importance on these things, and yet the reality is they made no eternal difference in his life or the lives of the people around him whatsoever. Aren't you glad you don't do that? Aren't you glad that we don't step into that trap where we get so caught up and so worked up about things in our lives that really have no eternal significance whatsoever? Boy, it's easy, isn't it, to lose our joy when dealing with little things in life, right? the stoplight, getting cut off in traffic, poor service at a restaurant, having to wait in line to get some kind of service or to buy something, maybe a friend disappointing you or saying some thoughtless word, and we get so bent out of shape over those things. And here's what Paul seems to be saying to us. He's saying, don't waste your time stewing over these things because they make no difference down the road. Don't allow your joy to be stolen by little slights, little offenses, little things that make no difference. Let's not get focused on trivia and small matters that our life were to the point where our life will come to a standstill. So the million dollar question is what matters in your life? What are those things that if they get taken away from you or you no longer experience them, it becomes a mission-critical offense? Those things in your life that are, if they, when they run out or when, when they leave you, life is truly over. What about focusing on those things instead? Begin to live your life addressing those areas and don't get so focused on addressing the areas that really just don't amount to much. Let's not forget chapter 3, verse 8. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, see Paul is doing here what we're talking about. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all garbage. 
He walked away from his resume. He walked away from his identity. He walked away from these religious expressions that didn't amount to anything. Why? Because Paul knew that those things did not matter most in life. Well, verse, chapter 3, verse 8 brings us to the third point, and that is every day, if you want to generate happiness in your life, every day choose to get to know Jesus better. Make that a goal. And I would say this is the most quintessential thing in our world today. Verses 10 and 11, Paul writes to the church and he writes, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Friends, I'm not going to stutter and I'm not going to stammer, and I'm not going to tell some cute little joke to convolute this experience today. This and this alone is the reason why you and I are on planet Earth today. The reason you're drawing breath today is God has a vision for each one of us to know him better, to know his son on a deeper level, and experience him. If Paul is saying, I got to know Jesus better how much more should you and I be saying this as well? I mean, you think about Paul and all the things he did. Think about Paul and all the things he said. Think about Paul and all the things he wrote. Think about Paul and all the people he preached to, all the beatings he took, all the miracles he saw. And at the end of the day, he says, I want to know more of Jesus. I mean, most of us would sit back and probably say, hey, you know what? If if you, uh, if you can raise a dead man to life, you know, yeah, it's, that's good. I've attained. I, I, don't know to, I don't need to go any further. I don't need to, to know any more. I don't need to have a greater relationship here. It's all pretty good. Not Paul. Paul's saying, I am only touching, I'm only skimming the surface of this water, of this pool, and I want to know him. So how do you get to know Jesus? Hear me clearly, friends. The number one way is through a personal quiet time. I would argue if a person is not experiencing a personal quiet time in their life where they are sitting down, and and let me make it clear what a quiet time is. It's not you sitting in your car on the run from one appointment to another, having a couple of of kumbaya moments where you're at one with the universe. It's not you tuning into your favorite worship station and you hear one worship song and you go, oh yeah, I had a quiet time. No, a quiet time is you sitting down in a a relaxed manner, in an unhurried moment where you're not rushing to the next appointment and you're quiet and there's a quietness around you and you have the Bible opened up, opened up and you're reading it, whether it's on a a digital platform like a phone or an iPad or a physical platform, it matters not. But what does matter is you're actually exposing yourself to the Word of God, and you're reading it, taking it into your life, letting it, allowing it, allowing God's voice to change you from the inside out. In His Word, I'm reading the Bible, I'm reflecting, I'm asking how it applies, I'm claiming promises, I'm following premises, I'm putting into action uh, these things into my life. You are not knowing Jesus. You're, not getting, you're never going to get to know Jesus on a, on a better level, on a deeper level, until you start the practice of daily engaging in His Word. That's where we know him. That's the stage. That's the arena. That's the theater where Jesus dwells. And we have to, on a regular basis, a daily basis, I argue, meet him there. A fourth thing 
that we need to choose daily to do. Every day, choose to grow your life, to grow your life. Uh, so it's, you could almost argue the fourth point and the third point are very similar. Uh, the fourth point gr- expands the third point, okay? Grow your life every day. Why is this? Because I've discovered happy people are growing people. When someone says, that's it, I have learned as much as I'm going to learn, I'm whatever, fill in your age. I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70. There is nothing more for me to learn. I'm not going to grow in any way or any capacity ever again. Uh, if you sit back and say physically, you know what? The I, better days were behind me. I was able to do more physically when I was in my 40s, when I was in my 30s, when I was in my 20s. And it's just downhill from here on out. So I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop trying to attain. I'm going to stop try, trying to grow in these areas. You're, you're going to find that discouragement and depression wraps you up. Paul writes in verse 12, he says, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul's very clearly talking about a spiritual component here. He's saying, hey, I'm I'm not satisfied with what I've already attained. I'm not satisfied with how I've grown to this point, but I am moving forward. I am pressing forward to doing more, to growing, because I believe Paul understood that happy people are growing people. You see, here's the reality, and this is something we need to understand about our spiritual life. It's something we've confused in America. We believe that the Christian life is what? For evangelicals, it's saying a prayer, praying to ask Christ to come into your life. And, 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 and you know, we use as code language, we say, that's getting saved. I got saved. Once I get saved, I'm fine. Uh, evangelicals believe that. Uh, more liturgical, higher church people would say the, the focus is on, on getting baptized and being confirmed, okay? Once I'm baptized and once I'm confirmed, then I have attained. Uh, you know, there's, there's different benchmarks for different faith groups here, but, but hear me, those benchmarks is not what the Christian life is about. It's not about, about doing a specific thing. So I want to make this as clear and understandable for everybody in this room, everybody that is following along on our streaming platform, Salvation occurs, occurs in life, okay? It's a very specific point. It's a point, salvation is a point where you understand who you are, you understand your need and how you're broken, and you understand that the only person that can fix you is Jesus Christ, and you call upon him to forgive you of your sins, you call upon him to come into your life and take leadership of your life. That is a very distinct process or a distinct time that happens, but then what unfolds after that is a process that theologians call sanctification, okay? That's a, a theological word meaning that you're growing in the image of God. The Christian walk is a, is a specific action and then a process to follow. That's what Christ is calling us towards. So many times what will happen in America and among American Christians is a single commitment that we have. We will make a commitment and say, yep, I need Jesus. Jesus, come to me. And then you turn your back and you walk away after you've made that commitment to Christ. You walk away from the process. We fail to follow through on what God is offering us. And so what we must do is, yes, we Pay attention to the commitment that we make. That's important here. And if you've been around Northbridge for any time, you know that, that, that the, we pay a lot of attention to people making the commitment to follow Jesus. 
But we also must pay attention to the process of people growing in the image of Christ that happens every day after the commitment takes place. So I ask you the question, how are you to be growing in this time? If you don't know, then begin asking God. Why don't you, part of your quiet time involved just a prayer saying, God, you know what? I believe that you are growing me. I believe you want me to grow. I believe you want me to change. I believe you want to make me into something different. But I really don't know what you're up to right now. Would you show me? And then take time to begin searching the scriptures to find where your attention should be going towards. And you just might experience by having that kind of exercise, doing that kind of thing, that the Holy Spirit has a way, has a very particular way of answering your prayer on an individual basis for exactly where you need to be. The fifth thing I would encourage and that I do in my life is every day choose to forget what you can't control and focus on the future. Here's the reality. We hold on to our hurts. We hold on to our grudges. We hold on to our disappointments. And I recognize that in this age that we live in today, there are more hurts now, it seems. There are more grudges that we have towards one another. And we, as human beings, love to hold on to those things. I also recognize that some of us have been hurt a lot. I get that. Some of us have been hurt profoundly. I understand that as well, too. And I don't, I'm not trying to make light of your hurt. I'm not trying to minimize your pain. But I'm saying this. I'm saying that by you holding on to these things, you're keeping yourself in perpetual pain. As you continue to hold on to your hurt, as you continue to hold on to that disappointment, and you keep on it, and, and you just say to me, like right now, maybe even your blood pressure is going up because you're like, Tony, I'm not going to lay this down. You don't understand how I got ripped. You don't understand how much pain was caused in my life. And you're just telling me to forget it? No, I didn't tell you to forget it. You're just telling me to, to, to let it go and let those people off? No, I didn't say that. Uh, but you're telling me to let it go? How dare you, Tony? Well, this is what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that as long as you're holding on to it, you're going to be in perpetual pain. You're, you can't be happy and, and refuse to allow hurt and, uh, and, and, and all of these things to paralyze you all at the same time. You, you're going to have to choose. Do you want to be hurt or do you want to be happy? Because you're never going to be both, friends. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul writes, he says, I focus on this one thing. What is Paul focusing on? I forget the past. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. Our race, friends, it's not over yet. So let's run this whole race with the same kind of energy, the same kind of focus as we started out in the early days. I understand Today, there have been many points, many points we've talked about. I ask you again as I began this process, is there a need, is there a need that you need to lean into? Is there a point that you need to lean into, especially in this season? Let's pray in this moment. And right now, as the band is beginning to come up, uh, heads are bowed. People, you, I invite you to just kind of be in your own space right now. 
and I just just say, you know, I'm not going to draw attention to anybody. I'm not going to not going to, you know, point to someone. I'm not going to call someone's name out. I'm not, my goal is not to embarrass anybody. But, you know, just want to know that you're out there, and I want, want to know who I'm praying for here. Today, we're going to close today just praying for folks. There might be some people saying, Tony, you know what? I'm profoundly unhappy right now. I'm struggling with some stuff, and it's really, it's stealing my joy. It's these things are, I'm allowing those, these things to keep me from being happy. Would you just pray for me, Tony, in these moments that I would begin to own the idea that I can, I can help stimulate happiness in my life? If, if that's you, I, you know, I'd just like to know that I, if there's someone I'm praying for, just, if you just raise your hand. Again, I'm not going to name you or anything like that. But if there's some folks that would say, man, pray for me because I'm just sad. I'm the, dealing with a profound sadness and I'm not happy today. Okay, I, I see some hands. And a final question I ask you in this moment is, was there one of these points that just resonated with you where you said, you know what, I need to own that. I need to begin doing that in my life in order to stimulate happiness in my life. My prayer is that what, what my advice would be would be if, if there is, that you write that down, you make that known to maybe family, friends, so you have a little bit of accountability here and some people maybe talk about that with you. Um, but maybe for you, your prayer today is just, God, how, how do I incorporate that into my life so that that's a practice I can do daily, every day? And that maybe for you is, is where you go to the Lord today in this moment. Pray with me. Father, you saw the hands and you know the hearts and you know the hurts and you know the lives of every one of us, God. It's so profound to think about that nothing is hidden from you. Nothing surprises you. Nothing takes you aback. And so, Lord, right now, I do lift up my brothers and sisters, those folks that are here in this congregation, those folks who maybe identified themselves on our streaming platform, but I don't know them, know who they are yet. I lift them to you that are dealing with sadness. God, would you help them, help them to begin to figure out ways in which they can generate happiness in their lives. That they don't have to live based upon the happenings going on, but they find incredible joy, incredible support by your favor, by your hand on their shoulder, and they're able to continue to press on and do it with a happy heart. Father, I pray for them today. And Lord, I lift up everyone today. Would you help us, God? Just take responsibility for our emotions. Take responsibility for what we're feeling. God, because I know that what we feel ultimately is then how we live out, what we do, what we say, how we treat other people around us. And so would you help us to be people that have so much joy that we respond with love, with kindness, with grace, with mercy, that we live those things out in our lives. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.